You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And as always, also... Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thanks for joining us again. Um, we are a weekly podcast here at ACB talking about what's going on in the advocacy space. Um, as always, if you guys have any issues in the advocacy world you want us to look into, please feel free to email us at advocacy at acb.org. Um, we really love to hear from you guys. We're here to serve, so feel free to reach out. Um, we're really excited today to be talking about what a lot of people term as micromobility. It's kind of the hot topic word you'll hear. And that's kind of what you're seeing on the road. Um, scooters is often the example, but I know we see other forms of vehicles. But those are those uh, vehicles that anybody can use their app to unlock and get around. Really popular. Um, I live in the DC area. You see them everywhere. A really cool new form of um, alternate transportation to get around. But of course, um, there's it affects the disability community as well. We want to make sure everything is working together. So we are talking with somebody from a micromobility company and kind of hearing what they're doing to make sure that it's accessible for everybody, that we can all work together, um, make sure that things run smoothly. So Ryan, do you want to jump in and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what your company is doing? Great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for this discussion. I appreciate your inviting me on to talk about uh, the great benefits of micromobility for everyone. Um, my name is uh, Ryan McConaughey. I'm the executive director of the Micromobility Coalition. And uh, our group uh, represents, um, you know, uh, e-scooter and e-bike uh, providers. And uh, we are working to sort of improve the quality of life across the country by promoting access to micromobility options to help reduce traffic, create cleaner and quieter communities, make it easier for people to get where they want to go. Um, we work on educating people about how micromobility works and how it can help them in their lives. Uh, we work to promote access to people uh, for the service. And we like you know, to build relationships with groups like ACB to make sure that micromobility works for everyone in the community. Great. So you talked about some of the different forms of micromobility. You talked about e-scooters and e-bikes. Um, are those just kind of some of the main types of micromobility we're seeing? Um, are there any other forms out there? Uh, well, the, the, the definition varies broadly because it is a new field. Some people include their, their new e-mopeds and other forms, but primarily when we're talking about micromobility and the issues that we focus on most closely are exactly right. It's primarily e-bikes and e-scooters. Gotcha. So we specifically wanted to talk about this issue today because um, or I should say how it impacts the blind community. So it's a really cool new form of transportation to get around, but we are starting to see it impact the blind community because um, scooters, for instance, um, can be parked in a lot of places. So unfortunately, we do see them sometimes parked kind of in the middle of sidewalks or different places that we're uh, commuting around and for people who use white canes for instance sometimes they act as an impediment on sidewalks and so people might bump into them or not how not know how to navigate around them um, so can you talk a little bit about how you guys are trying to work in this space to make sure that um, we have safe access for all people with disabilities and for us specifically with the blind and visually impaired community 
Sure, I'd be happy to. And it is a um, it, it's an incredibly important um, you know effort. And I think uh, you know the coalition and our companies are first and foremost sort of guided by the principle that we hear so often from. Uh, you know, advocates in the disability community that sort of nothing about us without us. So everything starts uh, with a with a really uh, open back and forth dialogue that our companies uh, engage in and we engage in as the coalition through forums like this and through one on one conversations. And we really want to be guided by uh, the needs of the community. So, uh, you know, we, we've heard some pretty consistent things uh, along the lines of what you've mentioned. So uh, first and foremost, making sure that uh, devices are parked in the right places and they're parked there predictably. Um, you know, certainly one of the main concerns we hear is about blocking sidewalks or other rights of way. That's something that, you know, companies are really committed to, um, to working to address. Um, you know, the ways, the ways they're doing that are, you know, first through dialogue and identifying the problem. Um, there's some things that the companies are doing uh, with the technology itself. One example is, um, as you know, living here in Washington, um, you see a lot of e-bikes and those bikes uh, often will have what's called lock to technology. And that means that when the barks, bikes are parked, they have to be locked to something like a post or a bike rack. And that helps to make sure that they're not going to be in a right of way. Um, you know, another example is the installation of braille pads on devices that will let uh, people, um, you know, who have a visual impairment get information on who to who to call uh, at the company to report an improperly parked device and have it uh, have it be addressed. Um, yeah, I think we've seen this across the country, but locally, Montgomery County uh, has been a leader on this and, and sort of deploying those devices. And that's something that the companies are really engaged in. Um, a lot of this has to do with rider education. So, uh, you know, companies are leaning in on that. At, the co at our website, micromobilitycoalition.org, we've posted parking and safety tips on our website, including the biggest one is just a constant reminder to people to, to look at the area you're parking in. Uh, people are in a hurry, but they have to make sure that, you know, just when you stop and park, we always encourage people stop, look around, you know, can a stroller get by? Can a wheelchair get by? Can can somebody with a white cane get by? Just make, just use some common sense and make sure that the devices are prop properly, parked properly. Um, the individual apps to use to rent the scooter provide educational reminders about that for every ride. Um, companies have been using on-vehicle decals and tags. Um, also pushing out consistent messages through their social media channels and emails to their riders about best practices. And, uh, you know, companies like Lime have live training events. They go to cities, they run, you know, Lime Academy or other rider uh, awareness events where they actually, you know, directly educate people on best practices. So there's, there's a lot going on in the space and it's a major priority. Ryan, this is Clark. You mentioned um, Lime and some of the, as a company and some of the other uh, types of mobility devices. Uh, who all are members of the uh, Micromobility Coalition? So our, our founding members are um, Uber um, with their jump bikes and scooters and Lime. Um, and we, we consistently have conversations throughout the transportation community with, you know, part of our big outreach efforts. We talk with, you know, providers, um, you know, think tanks, thought leaders, uh, groups like yourself uh, to try and sort of really be enmeshed in the transportation community and make sure that policy is made the right way for, for providers, for riders and uh, the community at large. And in a lot of cities, it seems like almost overnight, just uh, the scooters or bikes are just up here. Um, what would you say is the, as we say, like, why are they so dang popular? <laughs> let's, just, let's just ask that question. 
Um, yeah, well, I, so I think it's, there's um, one, first and foremost, they're convenient. Uh, I mean, they're widely available. It's just nice to be able to uh, walk down the block, find one, make a quick trip, and then leave it at your destination. Um, you know, particularly in heavily congested cities like Washington or other cities across the country, you can get to where you're going faster instead of sitting in traffic. You don't need to circle the block and wait for a parking space. Um, and it's an easier way for people to get who have trouble getting to transit, who want to get out of cars and get onto public transportation. They call it sort of the first mile, last mile problem. Um, you know, it, it makes it very easy to get out of the car, out of the traffic jam, and sort of on with your life. Um, you know, 35% of the car trips in this country are under two miles, and oh, wow. e-scooters and e-bikes are, are, you know, and it's even higher in big urban areas, um, are just a better way for people to, to, to make faster commutes, uh, you know, have, have a more convenient experience. They're also um, more affordable than, say, a taxi ride. You can cover the same distance, uh, you know, often for, for less money. And uh, people like uh, also like the fact that there's no emissions from the ride. I mean, um, you know, these, these scooters and e-bikes have been replacing thousands of car trips a day, and that means less greenhouse gas emissions and less tailpipe emissions and smog and particulate matter, and that's just good for everybody. That's great. I didn't even uh, realize this, some of the statistics you just gave. That's really, really helpful to know and really encouraging. So one thing, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Nope, no, go ahead, that's fine. Um, so I know you were talking about some of the different um, outreach that you guys are doing to educate the public and educate the users and those kinds of things on um, how to appropriately store bikes and where to put them and those kinds of things, which is unbelievably encouraging. So thank you for doing that. That's really exciting. But unfortunately, you always have that one person who didn't read the policy and leaves that scooter out in the middle of the sidewalk or things like that. Um, what kind of um, ideas or policies are you guys pushing to, um, you know, I hate to use the word penalize because it sounds so negative, but what kind of ideas are being put out there to remedy the problem when unfortunately that one person didn't read the policy and does leave their scooter out in the middle of the sidewalk? Yeah, no, we are, we are dealing with human behavior. So we're dealing with imperfection and that is, uh, that is a reality. So I think, you know, pushing as hard as we can on consumer education and rider education, but there, there is also enforcement has to be a part of this. And I think, uh, you know, companies largely um, are engaged in that. So typically, and it, it sort of the specifics vary across companies, but generally, you know, there is a framework where, um, you know, at the end of a ride, people have to take photos of where they parked um, to show uh, where the scooter is. But that also provides perspective to sort of verify that it, it's a little bit of a nudge, but also a little bit of a verification that it's parked properly. And um, if people don't park properly or uh, they're reported for parking improperly, they can be subject to fines. You know, a typical fine is sort of $25 for improper parking, which usually grossly exceeds the cost of a ride. So it's, it's a pretty stiff penalty. Um, and then uh, repeat offenders can be banned from the platform. Eventually, if you show that you're not responsible enough to use the system, the system will not allow you, um, you know, that privilege. So. Um, you know, that's that's sort of the main enforcement mechanism. And actually, right now, companies are working. Uh, you know, uh, Lime again worked on the uh, is working on a pilot at the on the Texas Tech campus where they have, you know, specific reporting thresholds for improper parking. And you know, once somebody reaches a certain certain threshold, there are consequences. And then, um, you know, they get reported to the campus admin. The campus tells the company for enforcement action. So, um, it's a combination of self-reporting, uh, third-party reporting, and uh, 
and then company enforcement. But there, there are penalties in place for improper behavior. Ryan, could you share some more examples of um, companies or state, city, or local governments that are, uh, in your opinion, doing it right or <laughs> rolling out scooters and policies the right way? Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the exciting things about this sector is that it seems like every day we're getting, uh, you know, scooters and e-bikes are entering new jurisdictions. It's, you know, it's, it's a rapid growth space. And so there are certainly every every city is doing it a little bit different. But I think um, actually uh, scooters are not yet on the ground there, but there's a, uh, a lead up to a pilot program in Seattle. And I think Seattle provides a good example of how companies, advocacy groups, and governments can start a really um, appropriate discussion. So, uh, you know, there was a, a variety of uh, bicycle groups, uh, disability advocates, including the local chapter of National Federation for the Blind, uh, and companies got together and, and um, did an open letter to Mayor Durkin sort of laying out principles for what a pilot should look like. So those were things like, um, you know, making sure that we're designing transportation systems that aren't zero sum, that we're accommodating uh, everybody safely, um, pushing for uh, parking guidance, making sure that, that parking is readily available sort of block to block for dockless uh, transportation items so that there's predictable, uh, consistent parking practices. And then this is, this is a big, big avenue for, for all governments, um, you know, for, to do complete streets uh, adoption. I mean, it has to be about uh, separated bike lanes, which are the best places uh, for scooters, um, designing rights of way um, and traffic flows to make sure that pedestrians, scooters, cyclists um, can all can all coexist, and most importantly, sort of avoid interactions with automobiles, which is still the most dangerous part of sort of uh, you know city city traveling. Okay. Um, so I think Seattle is a good example. Um, there are other places, uh, you know, sort of Oakland um, has been been on the leader uh, on the forefront, sort of pushing for adaptive technology to be put in place. Uh, so, uh, and, and again, I, I referenced it earlier, I think, uh, you know, Montgomery County in the DC area, pushing for braille pads and, uh, you know, and, and solid reporting practices are all good examples of progress. I am actually a resident of Montgomery County, Maryland. So it's exciting to hear that my county is trying to do some cool things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. And Ryan, do you have any recommendations for folks? Um, and forgive me if Claire, this is the same question that Claire asked earlier. Say someone comes upon, you know, a scooter blocking a right of way and it doesn't have the, the Braille tags like the ones that are being rolled out in Montgomery County. Um, what should people do? Well, I would say um, before I get, get to this, the specifics on that, I, I think it's also important to, to point out um, that we really strongly believe, and this is part of our education principle, that you know, the burden on this should not simply fall to, uh, you know, the disability community or the vision impaired community. Um, this is something where, um, you know, uh, certain, you know, some companies have a sort of group reporting app where that you can report through the app um, a scooter that's improperly parked, even if, you know, um, you didn't, you didn't ride it necessarily. And it's, it, it shouldn't just be incumbent upon people who, who need access to the rights of way. This needs to be everybody chipping in. So uh, first and foremost, I, I would hope that somebody, you know, if there's an improperly parked scooter that somebody else would, would be able to report it. But if there is not um, any, um, you know, any, any sort of braille information and not an easily recognizable number, um, I think the, uh, the companies are, are working to make their websites um, 
available. So if there's a, uh, you know, you can use the website or you can call, uh, you know, the, the public information, the 311 line or the local municipality. Most often, uh, the municipalities will have an arrangement where if some improperly uh, parked scooter is reported to the city government, the city government will notify the company and the company will come take care of it. That was actually going to be my question if you could call 311. So that's that's really encouraging to know that makes it really easy for everybody. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is tough. I mean, this is such a such a new um, and uh, and sort of uh, vibrant, um, you know, sector. It's tough to make broad generalities. But typically, city governments should be able to route those requests. Uh, in my my uh, uh, city of Alexandria, um, there are actually dedicated, uh, you know, municipal staff to sort of being on scooter watch and certainly uh, people can report to the city and then the city reports to the company. So, so that, that is another example of sort of a, a good practice. Yes, I'm an Alexandria resident as well. And um, city officials always recommend folks to use the call, click, connect, either phone line or website email prompt um, so that in addition to them following up with the companies, but then the city has a record um, of those situations. And then they can exactly going forward. Um, so I, I know it's easy for us in the advocacy space or talking with our membership to, to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, scooters are bad. They're everywhere. They go too fast. They're in the way they, you know, they knock people over, bump into folks, people just strewn them everywhere. But I, I have to believe that those, um, poor judgments and like you said earlier, Ryan, that people will show common sense um, and especially with more dedicated places to use them and ride them, uh, the situation will get better. But just curious to hear your thoughts on what are the, the opportunities for shared and micro mobility um, devices and programs in the future? Well, I think I think you're certainly right. I think part of this will be familiarity, um, and part of it will be you know consistent guidance from cities in terms of little nudges like signage or, uh, you know, or, or sort of consistent parking practices. Uh, but I think uh, one of the most exciting things that we've seen is actually uh, the ability of micro mobility to unlock economic opportunity. I mean, we've done some analyses in cities across the country about how by closing that first mile, last mile gap I talked about and making it easier for people to get to transit. Um, you know, we've looked at Seattle, Nashville, Miami, and by making people's commutes uh, quicker, they actually have access to, in many cases, tens of thousands of more job opportunities than they would uh, under their standard commutes. So I think, um, you know, the, the overall, the integration of micromobility into the transportation fabric of cities and seeing it as um, both a solution on its own, but also a solution that is in the fabric of just how the city works uh, is very exciting. And I think if you look at the sort of really explosive growth uh, in the sector, I mean, there were uh, the number of shared mobility rides uh, from 2017 to 2018, um, you know, doubled. There were over uh, 38.5 million uh, e-scooter rides alone last year. And, uh, you know, we, we've got um, just this incredible demand and it's driven by the fact that this can really weave itself into the fabric of, of everyone's lives. And I think in particular, uh, there's, there's a lot of common ground um, between the disability and micromobility communities because as the devices uh, become more fabric of the city, that's gonna push an overall movement for clearly marked lanes, places for everybody, uh, you know, safe, safe sidewalks, safe bike lanes, and again, sort of deconfliction with cars. 
that is going to going to have benefits beyond just just the person using that scooter or that bike in that moment. So I think those are uh, the opportunities that have us really excited about what's over the horizon. This might be something that's you know futuristic and could be you know further out just because of the technology and what have you, but has there been any talk about accessible devices for people, for instance, a tandem e-bike for people who are blind or scooters with hand controls for people with physical disabilities? Is there any talk in that space as well? Uh, yeah, there there is talk in that space. Uh, and I think that is, uh, uh, I think I mentioned uh, potentially earlier, Oakland has really been um, pushing in particular for adaptive vehicles. Um, I think this, you know, this is such a new space that the technology is consistently evolving and, you know, five years ago, this wasn't even on the scene. So I think, um, you know, there are, you know, it, it's, it's the type of, type of thing that it's tough to say. Uh, so I can't point to a specific device that I know will be available in the next, you know, six months or a year or anything like that. Um, but I certainly know that uh, this is an evolving space and there's clearly a demand and a, and a need for it. And, uh, uh, you know, there are, it, it is, it is something that's being contemplated as the sector moves forward. For sure. Just kind of fun to think about what technology could lead to. So. No, it's, a, it's an exciting, it's an exciting space. And, you know, I think, you know, companies and cities are going to see what, what others are doing and, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, replicate and refresh and innovate. And it's, it's, it's a very exciting uh, time for, for this kind of uh, development. And Ryan, the studies that you referenced, or if people want to learn more uh, about the Micro Mobility Coalition, um, can you share that that website again and point us in the right direction there? Sure. Yeah, everyone can find us, and I encourage you to come check us out at micromobilitycoalition.org. That's one word: M I C R O M O B I L I T Y Coalition.org. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your, I'm sure, busy schedule to speak with us. I know this has been really educational for me. So thank you so much. And we encourage everybody to check out that website that was just referenced. If you guys have any questions about this and any other topics, but um, if you guys want to talk to ACB about micromobility, it's something that we're looking at seriously and we're continuing to take ideas and thoughts because um, it's, you know, it's something that's interesting to the blind community. Again, you can always reach out to us here at the national office. Let us know what your thoughts are, your concerns, your ideas, everything and anything we want to hear from you guys. Claire, something tells me is a hot topic as scooters are, we will receive quite a bit of feedback on this episode of the advocacy update. I'm sure we will. You know, especially as people, thank you to everyone listening over ACB radio and those listening via their favorite podcast players. Uh, we plan for this to be part one of a two-part series on micro and shared mobility devices. Um, so Ryan, thanks again for joining us and everyone stay tuned for the next edition of the micro mobility series you'll uh, hear from a couple of our members who are blind or visually impaired themselves and kind of get their firsthand experience and thoughts and ideas so um, it'll be great to kind of hear from all the different perspectives and really put some ideas out there so we're excited to hear uh, we're thankful to hear from ryan today and excited to hear from some other uh, members of the community so yeah some great great and i and i, and I just and I just want to say thank you so much. It was, it's been a pleasure to be on. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation and uh, hopefully it's a continuing conversation. It's important to us to keep the dialogue open and, and keep moving forward. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you. We, Absolutely. We love that. Great. 
Well, Clark, what do we always say at the end of our episodes? Keep advocating. Thanks, everybody. One day you'll wake up in the present day. A million generations removed from expectations of being who you really want to be. Skating away, skating away.